Welcome to the Spin Shootin' Sports Show. I'm one of your hosts, Al Violsi. With me is my co-host, Sir Bron of the Blackwater. Mm. We're here to shoot the shit and talk some sports, but first, I have to tell you that we are brought to you by Starbucks of Westeros, including a newly opened branch in Winterfell. <laughs> that's your best, that's the best one yet. <laughs> and it was the best, like, most topical yeah, one I could one. do. Um, Bron, that's a great, I, I'll take Bron as well. I, I figured you'd be happy with that, one of my favorites. He's, um, before even this season, last season too, I did like a top five of my favorite characters, Bron is solidified in top three. Oh, I mean, he's always been a fan favorite from day one when he first yeah, showed up. Yeah, I mean, he's got the... He's underrated, like, just from, like, the perspective of having, like, that magnetic personality for a guy who sometimes is a few words. Yeah. Like, all that. He gets some of the best lines. He does great delivery. He's got great lines, great delivery. I've always been a fan, like, the, the secondary guys, like, the sidekicks. Like, mm-hmm. the Hound is one of my favorites. Bron, like, all those guys are just, like, the secondary guy. And those, all of them are just... Fantastic, but Braun, number one, great choice, great episode from him last night. We'll just go right into spoilers. Yeah, guys, we're going to have spoilers for last night. Check the timestamps on the episode, because we will have other stuff, obviously, that will be sports-related, but you're going to get this from us week by week until the show ends. Yeah, we only, yeah, two more after this, so... Two more after this. So, not too much, but um, going into last night, I liked it. I thought about it more after... Well, after the episode ended, I was like... I liked that was a good episode. Yeah, in the moment I felt the same way where I was like, wow, really strong, like much less disappointing than last week. Even though we both liked the episode, ultimately was a little disappointing. Right. But I had the same thing as you today where some stuff that I, I thought more about pissed me exactly. off. Exactly. And that was kind of where I'm at. And I, I think I figured out why I don't like this season as much as other seasons. Season says seven I didn't like. Season eight I haven't really liked either, but I think I found out why. I cannot stand John and Danny together. They have no chemistry. No, that's not what's been bothering me. What's been bothering me is a problem that's been from, I think, season five was where it really started being a big issue. The writing is just not very Well, the good. writing is definitely different. You can tell. But last season, I thought they did a good job of kind of, like, dragging the reins back on track. And it feels like I thought they had set themselves up into a good place where it's like, okay, we've made mistakes in the past. We can't completely correct them, but we're setting ourselves on the path to doing the best we can. And I think that the first couple of episodes, they did a good job of it, and they're going way off the rails again. Uh, uh, I think it's it's a lot of the writing. It definitely is that, and it, it, last season they kind of corrected a little bit. I thought it, the writing isn't terrible. It's not great, but that's not my big issue. The big issue for me is Danny and John are supposed to be so like in love, and I just don't believe it. Like it's this is the the big storyline is them two, and like how they're gonna man- manipulate this situation. It's like. I just can't buy into them. It's so it's like corny to me. Their, their relationship, their relationship has run hot and cold for me. Um, even within last night's episode, um, there's some scenes where I'm like, okay, I'm on board, and there's other scenes where I feel the same you do. It just seems forced to me. Like they had to do it, and it just do- it's not working. Well, the problem is because they're trying to force the tension. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. and that requires excellent writing because you ran into a lot of those situations. Weird analogy, but in season three of New Girl, oh, curveball. <laughs> well, well, think about when the two of them finally com- like commit to being together. Yes, when Jess and Nick finally commit to being together. At the beginning, it's fine, but then they try and come up with ways to create tension between yeah, them. But I, I and it's not effective tension. It's super awkward a lot of times, and they just always switch into a hole. Chemistry. They always had chemistry. I don't think they even have then they any chemistry. John and Danny have no chemistry. I don't think it's none, but I agree with you. It's like there's wild swings where it's just like this entire sequences where I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I'm not what, buying yeah, this. Yeah, what is this? Yeah, but like, there's others where I do. There's a scene right after 
the, the feast where she comes in and John is sitting there and they have this serious conversation. And that was the moment I realized this, this relationship is has no chemistry. It's just corny is when she was like, you can't tell anyone. You have to be, you know, you have to be John. You can't tell a soul who you are. Now, in that moment, I was like, this is this is actually bad writing. And then I thought about it more so. It's actually not that crazy of an unreasonable thing to say to someone that you truly love. Like, Ned had this crazy secret, and he kept it because he's in love with his sister and, obviously, John. That... Well, not, not in love with them. <laughs> yes, it loves, loves yes, them. It the loves love them. is real. Yes. That was like such... In that moment, I was like, this is insane. He's never going to agree to that. But if the, if the chemistry was there, I think it's a reasonable thing to ask. If you love me as much as you say, like, we, we can be together. You just can't tell this secret, which there are a lot of secrets held in the show. Yeah. So that was kind of the realization for me. It was like... But that, I don't view that as being a chemistry issue, though. That, that's, again, like, it's poor writing. But in the moment, I thought, like, this is awful, awful. And I realized it's really not that crazy of a thing to ask. No, it's it's not. But just the way that the situation, like the big picture of the way the situation was handled by the show writers. Yeah, I, it's definitely still writing. But that was a moment where I was like, I can't even believe that she's asking this because well, they the, just have no chemistry. Like, there's I, I could not think John's gonna say, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do this. The issue that I have is how dumb the two of them are to not just have already realized that they need to get married because it puts all these things away. Yeah, it should have been something that was broached last season. Before they even get to Winterfell. Yeah. Um, and then when Varys and Tyrion are talking about it, and they're like, no, 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 well, then this is never going to work if we just try and have them get married. Well, yes, it would. And you guys, that's your job. But the thing is, it was their job before they realized this problem was, that would have been the only thing that would have 100% solidified this alliance, yeah. is to broach the topic of a marriage. That is that is their job to do the forward thinking on those sorts well, of I things. Well, I think they had, a, they had one line they were talking, which kind of made sense, was... I was thinking the same thing. The you know, marriage solves all his problems. It does for Danny. John's. They said it. You know, in the north, that's not really the norm. Like John, you could. See no, but what I'm case. saying though is, that if they broached it last season before they knew that he was. Yeah, but because then, because then I think you could say to him, "Hey, we can't tell anyone other than your sisters, cousins." Backfired. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if they had gotten married ahead of time, or if it was broached ahead of time. They could have gotten married, and then he could have told them after I found out, and then it's well, well this is we're yeah. just gonna have to deal with it type of situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I still and, think and that is be... still it's still weak writing. The the two of them wouldn't have thought to broach the topic before then. Whether or not they succeeded in getting them to marry is an entirely different story. If John, because that's a choice. It's not bad writing. You know what I mean? And this is a choice of bad writing, not even broaching the topic before now. I, I think John, if he married Danny before he knew, and then he found out, I still think it'd be an issue. Could be. John, John. But the thing is, that would have been legitimately interest, sto interesting storytelling. Yeah. Is him dealing with the consequences and the fallout of that afterwards. Yeah. As opposed to dealing with it the way they are now, yeah. which is just bad writing. Uh, yeah. It, to me, it just goes back to, like, I just can't believe them together. Like, they're supposed to be in love, and I just don't buy it. That, I mean, that's fine. I, I, I can totally understand why you feel that way. I don't... I agree with you to an extent, just not to the same level that you feel that yeah. way. And that's fine. Everyone's going to have their own mileage with that. My issue is the writing perspective, although... What I'm going to say with the whole thing with the dragon, with Regal getting shot down. Oh, I have I have some points on that one. More bad writing, yeah, um, and or at, or at bare minimum, it's quote unquote bad cinematography because or you know bad physics and science behind all of what they're doing, like choices. I'm okay with them doing it because they set it up by showing how ragged the flight was. You knew something was going to happen, yeah, or that it was going to be open to a 
suspenseful moment to see how Regal dealt with the situation. Yeah. Um, and he dealt with it by being killed. Yeah. But the way they shot it, I, I guess Euron shot from behind the island. Yeah. That... And as soon as that battle was done, I was watching with, with Dominic and a friend, like, um, and we're like, I was like, man, they're really bad at this whole military thing because the battle plan last week as we talked about and other people more informed than us have talked about how badly it was planned from a military standpoint there's no way you don't have some sort of scouts making right. sure that the place that you're going which by the way everyone forgets is like 15 feet it's 15 <laughs> feet from king's landing right. um like they wouldn't have some sort of people like scouting out the area to make sure that an entire fleet right. the only thing that can hurt them yeah is waiting for them but on the other hand, like he gets hit like three times, and you still don't see the ships so until was after my, it comes that around. That was my thing. So that kind of reminded me of last season when Danny comes and saves John and them from the, the whites when they're trapped on that little like yeah in the you know, the lake where it was yeah, like how, everybody lake. was like how did that how did Gendry run back at a raven and then a, and a dragon in like five minutes? That kind of reminded me. The of thing the same is, thing. I'm actually okay with something like that. That just reminded me of it, where it's like this kind sure. of crazy circumstance where. She she's flying way above everybody. She should be able to see, like there were just fifty ships. Like all this happened to be behind a little rock. Like we have to wait the perfect moment, and then you're on going three for three and snipes. Yeah, is the most unbelievable part. Oh yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah, I don't have a problem with the first shot hitting, even though I don't think that they showed it well. Because like yeah. I said, like the bolt hits, and then we look around. And it's like, where did that come from? And oh, then they come out from the yeah. Like, but the issue is, how did all three of them yeah. hit? Like, like. Because they couldn't have all been shot by Euron. Because with that sort of thing, it takes like a minute to reload them, typically. The, and, yeah, that and the fact that Night King went like one for three. We have to believe Euron goes three for three. Yeah. Zero percent And people chance. had an issue with him hitting him with the spear. And I'm like, no, no, that dude's got magic. Like, yeah. You can have all bets be yeah. off. He can break the rules because yeah. he's got magic. Euron doesn't have magic, yeah. at least not in the show. So I like those kind of points where it's like something unexpected happens that makes sense. These are things From that, that perspective, I liked it because some people... Bloodlust wasn't sated last week. We right. kind of figured that the dragons were going to have to come into more play of being in danger. Yeah. And them showing him struggling to fly before they left. Kind of hammering home that issue of we're not ready for the next battle. Like right. That all left on the table. I was wondering whether it be this episode or next, whether Regal was going to get it. So yeah. I'm fine with it from that perspective. The execution yeah. left a lot to be denied, uh, to desired. Right. Yeah, that, that to me... Like, you have to have, if you want to have a, a twist like that, it has to be, like, somewhat believable. I know it's a show about dragons, <laughs> but, like, these, the, all the, the major shock moments before were shock because we, we understood, like, why it happened. Yeah. This is just, like, three, three spears hit a dragon. Well, I understood why, but I just, just didn't like, love how. Exactly, but I'm saying, like, the sequence of it, it's just not, it's just not good. Basically, and I'll be yeah. honest, I'm a little bit disappointed even moving on to something else that went on with this. The plotting and scheming, I like that they've gotten back to that. It was yes, obvious that that's what was, they wanted to get back yes, to with getting with rid of the Night King the way it was. Yeah. And that's always been the best stuff on the show anyway. Hum the human politicking is by far the best part of the show. But in the moment, that conversation, the final conversation between Tyrion and Varys, where yes. it's coming down to it's like, okay, Varys is ready to move on. Yeah. I'm a little surprised and disappointed um, and I guess maybe I shouldn't be just, uh, surprised anymore because the writing hasn't been up to par. has been written. No, that's not the issue I have. I actually think that this episode, they finally like dragged him and Varys back on track. Varys has actually got to say lines for the first time this yeah, season. Yeah. Um, no, my issue is one of those guys can't walk out of that room alive. Because based on the way the conversation ends, where the two of them are now diametrically opposed, not with each other, but with each other's plans. Yeah. With one, I think Tyrion's going to flip. Well, but, but what I'm saying is, if they walk out of that room where he says, what are you going to do? He goes, he says, you can't do this. 
or whatever. Yeah, he basically and said, he says, I'll, I've been honest with you, and then uh, I've, honest as I can I've said as much you. as I can, yeah. but whatever. It's very obvious he is now moving forward with a plan to supplant Danny. In that moment, one of the two of them I assumed was going to kill the other. Uh, because you that. can't, if you're Tyrion and you're fully supporting Danny, at that moment, if you're fully supporting her. He doesn't, though. Then he would be going with Varys on his plan. I, I think he's saying what he... And he, vice versa, you know what I mean? Like he's, if, Yeah, he's saying what he he thinks he needs to say. Deep down, he's definitely scared. He, uh, Sansa said it, like, you're scared. Yeah. And that's exactly it. He's afraid. Well, we can tell. It's manifested him drinking yes, too much, yes, which Varys says. And I think that's why he's... No one... If anyone's going to kill each other in that scene, it would be Tyrion with Varys. And I, I think Tyrion agrees with him. He just can't say it yet. But that's what I'm saying, though, is... Varys wouldn't leave it up to chance because what he just said, like Tyrion said, we're talking treason now. What Varys has said is is treason if you believe that she's the rightful queen. So when Varys has said to you, mm, I'm not really on board with her anymore and I've found my candidate. I'm not just looking for work. I have found my candidate to replace her. Once he's Once Tyrion doesn't agree with you, if you're Varys, you have to kill him to make sure that he doesn't go back to you and get you killed. I know he said at whatever personal cost, but in order to enact his plan... He has to be alive. I mean, it would have been it would have been a good shock and a good twist that would have made sense. I'm just saying that the way they wrote that scene, which I didn't mind how they wrote the scene, but the end of the scene doesn't work for me with the way that those two guys, the two of them, know what's going to happen next to some degree. Yeah, but they've always been in cahoots. Together. Like they're they're the only two that know exactly what the other one is thinking. Yeah, but Varys has been cold blooded when he needs to be. It, it, it's true. I'm saying that it's it wouldn't have been it would have been good writing to have that happen. I'm not surprised that they didn't do it. I wouldn't have done. It. I wouldn't have done it. That well, that's way. what I'm saying though. Is I, I'm not surprised anymore because yeah. I don't think they're capable of having that good of writing anymore. What I'm saying is what this sets us up to is I think you're right that Tyrion is talking about flipping. flipping. Yeah, because the Mad Queen is coming. And this will allow that flip to happen. Yes. But what I'm saying is if you're going to do it, it has to happen in that scene. Because the the two of them would have never let the other walk away. You know what I'm saying? One of them would have never let the other walk away from that conversation if they weren't in alignment. Yeah, I know. I get what you're saying. Um, I... I do think that it's going to make sense on why they didn't do that in the next. Tyrion's going to flip. The Daenerys is going to become the Mad Queen. You know, her seeing yes, they've been Missand, setting that up. exactly. Her her flip. Her her heel turn is like mm-hmm. it's. They've done actually a pretty good job with her making her very likable, and now basically everybody hates her. Well, they they've done a good job of showing you know kind of the cause and effect of that right where they the the big, early in the episode she looks around the room and everyone has a friend except for her yeah everybody's enjoying their time and she's like who the hell do i have and but specifically everyone's enjoying their time with someone else right and she is literally alone yes um the so just to go on other things we didn't love the only other thing i didn't love was how john's uh his real name and who he is got out like don't you tell, tell two friends. Don't tell anyone. You tell two don't friends. Don't tell anybody. It was just a, a chain reaction of don't tell anybody, and they just immediately told somebody. Well, I love how Varys at least called it. Okay, so eight people know. Yes. So it's Everybody no longer knows. a secret. It's yeah. now it's now gossip. I'm fine with with John telling his sister, you know, his sister's cousins, um, <laughs> what it is. I'm fine with that. That makes sense. I don't love that Sansa in ten seconds tells Tyrion, who ten seconds later tells Varys, and then you tell two friends. They have to find out different ways to me. Like, Varys is known as the guy of whispers and has birds. Like, I would be happy with him, like, reading a note. Like, John doesn't like how the, the situation ended with Danny. They're going off, they're not going at the same pace and, like, writes a note and, like, tries to deliver it to Or him. even they could have just tweaked it from with what they actually did. When, the, when we open with that scene of Tyrion and Varys discussing it on the ship, it would have been more effective if Tyrion says, I have something I need to tell you. And he already knew. And he already knew. Yes. And he's like, how? And, and if then he could have followed up his whole line. Right. You know, 
once you start telling more than two or three people, yes. it's no longer a exactly. secret. That fits your thing and also fits within the construct right. of the scene the, itself. It, to me, I was just lazy of like, Again, we're just yes. going to have people yeah. tell everybody. That was my, those are my real big things. Um, no, I agree with you on that. And um, t- to me, that was just a little bit, little bit lazy. But How about we this, do one thing that we liked from this episode? I liked the surprise, the suspense. I didn't see the dragon thing coming. I, well, mean, I was, was going to say a, one specific thing. The scene with Bronn and great, Tyrion great and Jamie. I really liked it. Um, my cousin Anthony did not like it. Really? Um, or he felt that it left itself open to be kind of weak. I, I should probably go back and find the exact message itself. But basically, he, he I guess he didn't like the payoff of Bronn being charged with the crossbow specifically and all of the symbolism behind that mm. to then end the way it did. And I disagreed because the thing is from the moment he was charged with that task, the way that the scene paid off was almost exactly how I expected it to. Like I wasn't, I honestly had no idea how that scene was going to go. Because he did the whole threatening with the shooting right past his head. I expected it was going to be them standing somewhere and a crossbow bolt was going to go whizzing past one of their heads and Bron being there and be like, we got to talk. Bron, I don't, I didn't have any expectations of what I obviously think he's at some point going to choose the friendship role over the the money. Well, he basically said that, and I think that's I, that was kind of where I thought he was going to go. Well, he wants he wants the friendship and the money. He wants right. his cake and eat it too. Right, exactly. He's kind of and he's kind of picking his. I have you know a deal from both sides. At some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay. let it play out. Exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna let whoever's winning. I'll take that side basically. Um, Which so, is fits perfectly the mercenary that he's exactly, always exactly. But I think he's going at some point. Even, you know, Cersei's the one that's winning, and it's going to be clearly to go to her side, and he's going to say, you know what? He's going to pick the friendship over that and fight or do something to help Jamie and. Well, I, I think Jamie. the most obvious way, especially when you consider the Hound and the Arya heading south the way they are, with the same mes- mission as Jamie, I didn't love the way that the scene ended with Jamie and, and Brienne because I think there was a. You could choose the wording however you want, but there's a pretty effective way where she says, after all this, you're going to go and save her. And all he has to say is, oh, I'm not going to save her. Yeah. And then ride off. You know what I mean? Yeah. I because think they want to I think that's system. pretty obvious what he's doing. But the thing is, they could have left it more ambiguous because the way he said it, it sounds like he's going to support her. Yes. They could have left it more gray. Right. Where you expect. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but that's that was a minor nuisance. Yeah, that, that I wasn't going to get But to. I just loved Bronn and Tyrion and Jamie sitting there talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's a good scene. And it going out exactly the way you expect is him saying. Well, bringing back the line from the first season. You told me you'd give me double. What's double Casterly Rock? Yeah. Mm. The twins. The, the, the High Garden. Yeah. You're right. That is twins. Two. twins. I'll hold you to it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that was very Bron. It was very on brand for him. Yes. It was a great scene for all three of them. I did like the Varys and Tyrion scenes. I like the experience. Like yes. Old school. Like that was like season, you know, three, four, That's five, what got like, everyone to love it. Yeah. It was, you know, them talking. That's the only person Varys is honest with. He... Tyrion's the only one that really knows, you know, Varric, what he's thinking. Well, now, with Littlefinger dead. <laughs> yeah, true. But he, he, you, can, you can see what, you know, his goals are through his conversations with Tyrion, usually. So I, I always enjoy those scenes. Um, I did enjoy the ending. Um, I do like that Cersei, like, they've changed so many other characters. The only two constants are Cersei and her just hatred, and Jon just being a big, dumb idiot. <laughs> like, that's An honorable the, idiot. That's the only two things that are constant. Whether or not he's his blood father, he Ned raised him. <laughs> he's just the, he's just dumb <laughs> copy of him. He just he doesn't learn. It's season one to season eight. John just does not learn anything. Well, the problem is you can stand by your morals, and that's all fine and well and good. Um, but you have to understand how to 
handle it in a delicate situation. Yeah. To not just beat your head against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and then Cersei, any other scene, if it wasn't Cersei, I would have been like, Masande is, is surviving this. But it was since it was Cersei, I'm like, I didn't, ha- I didn't have that theory. You know, I knew she was dying. Regardless, I knew she was dying. You know what I would have loved, actually, in that scene? Um, yeah, it, it was pretty obvious the way that they seemed pretty unyielding on yes. that. Um, what they needed to do is when she walked up behind her and grabbed her arm and she goes to say something, do you have any last words? Considering the way it, we had talked about when, when Jamie earlier was talking to Brienne, she says, he says, I threw a, a boy out of a window here, this and that, and the line was the things we do for love, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Bran had said to him in the episode before. Right two episodes before and she's up there and it was right after Tyrion saying the thing about you know you're not a monster the only thing redeeming quality about you is that you love your kids more than you even love Jamie or anyone else she should have done it there right when she walked up behind him the things I do for love and pushed her off I had another thought that or I think Missandei should have gone out by trying to grab her and pull her down she obviously wouldn't have succeeded but make the attempt that's what I would have said that that would would have been a great scene if she any last words, and she tries to grab her to jump off, even if she does, and like... Well, I assume it ends exceeds, with the mountain just grabbing Cersei, some, and... Either that, where she's saved, or she falls, and it cuts out with her hitting the ground, so you don't know what happened. Like, she, she could not die off of, you know, a 20-foot fall. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, those the biggest, or the biggest thing is, she, there's no way she succeeds in the attempt. Right, exactly. But I would have loved for her to make the that attempt. That twist of, yeah. I like, you know that. you're going out, go down swinging. Yeah, exactly. Which, um, she gets her moment of defiance saying, Jakaris, tell him to burn it all, burn. right? And but that's still more words than anything. Yeah, and that's that means you know, Daenerys is, is going to be uh, bringing the fire next episode. I think she's going to go full Mad Queen, and I think just people are going to flip on her, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how Jon and that relationship pans out well that was something my brother had brought up to me was what's the point of having john like even do anything in this season so far because he's not doing anything and i what i said to him and i feel strongly about this considering and this dovetails perfectly with what you're saying is john is not here to defeat the night king he was here to be danny's final test exactly can she actually overcome the whole mad queen thing or not yeah. and he is the only way that you can test that yeah yeah um uh, that episode kind of was all right. You know, I'm just kind of. A... I really liked the first two thirds of it. Yeah, it, it, it was a good episode. I, again, I'm I'm, not, I'm loving this season, but it's fine. I'm fine with it. It is what it is. It's it got past the book, so I'm not going to try to hold it to a standard that the first five seasons had. But we will see going forward on what Danny does. I think she's going to go insane next episode. It's entirely possible. Yeah, or I think she'll walk up to the brink of it at least. Yeah. All right, moving on to. Just as depressing a topic, oh, at least yeah. for me. Weird that you're uh, dancing on my grave like I'm, that. I'm going to. <laughs> I know. I'm... It's happened vi- the other way around, so. Uh, I never danced on your you grave, danced. I don't think. You danced. Um, Not very well, but you danced. Eh. I disagree, but regardless. We're here to talk about the end of the Islander season. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember two episodes ago, right? Two episodes ago? Uh, when we talked about... Right before, because the Capitals and Canes series had yes. ended. Yes, totally. I told you that I was a little bit more afraid of the Canes for whatever reason that played out. More or less the way I was afraid of. Yeah. Um, you did say that you would be more likely to sweep the Canes than the Capitals, though. Did I? Yes. <laughs> I don't remember. Yes. I do remember that both of us picked the Islanders to win. Yes. Uh, in I like said six, six, I think. I said, I said Islanders in six. Um, and yeah, and I agreed with that. I'm very surprised by how it went. Um, obviously, the first two games were weird, high-variance type of games. Yeah. Um, I thought that the Islanders were the better team in both those games. I thought it was close to 50-50, maybe even slightly in Canes in Game 3. Yeah. 
Um, and as best I can tell, in Game 4, the Canes were dramatically the better team. Uh, I will confess to you, I did not watch a single minute of Game 4. Wow. Um, I had made fun of you either last week or the week before for some of your superstitions. Yes. Uh, I have very specific superstitions when you it comes for it. to playoff sports. Oh. Which I didn't get into then, and I will now tell you about now. Okay. Um, when it comes to playoff series like that, mm-hmm. when things aren't going well for my team, mm-hmm. and I've been watching every minute of it... You don't. I will not watch a minute of it to see if anything will be different. I've done that. Yeah, um, I've done that. Or even within a game, if it's like, you know, like something like football where it's... But it's only for games that are like... It's only for like playoff or like like really important like primetime type games, like matchups to like get into the playoffs, yeah. stuff like that. Um, if I'm watching and they're doing poorly, I will turn it off. And if they start doing well, I won't turn it back on. Yeah, that's that was the yeah the Rangers series. I said I just sat in a dark room. That's exactly what it was. But it's usually for something like hockey or baseball, considering they're the most similar. I don't not that I have much playoff Knicks success to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, for like a, a Yankee game or an Islanders game in, in the playoffs or whatever, or the Knicks if they if they mattered, um, if if things are not going well and I've been watching, I will not watch. You know, what I mean, I figured at that point. I'd watch every minute of the first three games. Nothing went well, and yeah. Let me just see if I can do the right. alternative. And they scored right off the bat, and I was like, hey, look at that. Yep. Didn't turn it on, because that's the whole point. Leave it. Let it let it ride the way it is. Right. I watched the recap after the game was done, you know, just to see what the goals looked like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I would assume, based on the fact that they lost 4-1, to one, that, or did they... 5-2. 5-2, yeah, sorry. I forgot the, that Nelson scored late, I think, right? Yep. Um, yeah, so I... Um, really, what it comes down to was, from... Especially when I can see the first three games, um, the Islanders and the Canes played a very similar style. Also, very similar um, during the course of the season, I guess. You know, especially the second half because the Canes earlier in the season were just possession, put a shit ton of shots on net. That's not the team they were down the stretch and in the playoffs. Um, and I think that they're just faster than the Islanders were, and they seized all their opportunities. The Islanders didn't seize their opportunities because they had a whole bunch of them, especially earlier in the series. Yeah. Um, and I looked at something right after, it was a few hours after, and I don't remember who put this, the graphic up, but just looking at the statistics, based on shots and shot quality and stuff like that, they can do a decent job of projecting how many goals each team should score. Yeah, that's a good stat, I like that. Um, and it, the, over the course of the series, it was supposed to be, the, the expected goals was, I think, 11 to 10.9 Islanders versus Canes. Yeah. Um, and the Canes converted on just short of 12% of their their shot rate yeah. and the Islanders like were four, under five percent. Yeah, it was four point nine or something yeah. like that, or four point eight. Um, and, and that's that's all you really need to know is that they had the opportunities. They actually technically should have scored just more than the Canes during the course of the series. And we had already talked last week about some of the, the goals that were overturned, right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not going to argue that case again, but just to mention that that was the thing. Um, and they had a lot of other opportunities. There was multiple times, especially in the first two games, where they had glorious opportunities. There was one where, where I think it was in game three where McElhenney was down on the ground. He had the his leg out, but he was down on the ground with his hand maybe six inches off the ground. All that space open, and I think it was Bailey. had All he had to do was roof it, and it's going in, and he put it right on his pad yeah. from right in front of the goal. He would have had zero percent chance of saving it, you know yeah. what I mean? The, the It was a weird series because, like, I honestly feel like watching the Islanders, it didn't feel like playoff hockey. Not one game felt like playoff hockey because the Penguins series, it was it was very dominant in one way. Mm-hmm. This series, it wasn't as dominant, but it, it never felt like a playoff series. Like the other series I'm watching feel like playoff hockey yeah, or it was just weird. like chaos. It didn't seem... Well, the thing is, considering how much they had closed everything down, the Islanders in that 
first series against Penguins, it was a very wide open game where there was a lot of action end to end by both teams. Yeah, but there's, there's there was no drama. It, obviously, in the sweep, there's no there's not drama, but it just it didn't feel like playoff hockey. Did yeah, it? a lot of the games just felt like tightly contested yeah, regular season exactly. games, and, and, and it, that was in both arenas. Yeah, and I said before the playoffs that. I thought one of the two, the Blue Jackets or the Islanders, would come out very cold, and the other one would be, you know, playing well, good. I thought it'd be the other way around. I thought Columbus would come out cold, the Islanders would come out, you know, buzzing. It flipped. Uh, I did say I thought the the advantages before the series, the goaltending. I thought the Islanders had a slight advantage. And Leonard played fine. No, he did. I thought defensively. I mean, Trotz, he, he shut out the Canes in the first game. They yeah. lost one nothing in overtime. Yeah, and Trot's system defensively is very good. But the, I said the defenseman for that, the players for the Canes, their top four is probably the best in hockey, if not you know definitely top five. Mm-hmm. Um, and the forwards I thought was kind of a wash, and it it's kind of crazy because the opportunities were there for the Islanders. You mentioned it, but they just did not capitalize. And Mrazek going down. You have Curtis McElhinney in net. You have to win that series. I agree. and Or at least not get swept. swept. So, <laughs> I mean, if they lost in Game 7, you know, it is what it is. So the worst things that could have happened for the Islanders was, one, they that looking back, sweeping the Pens was more detrimental than help. Probably. Because they were cold. They kind of... But think I, still thought, I, still think they, I still think they, they controlled the flow of the game in Game 1. Yeah, but they, they got... It wasn't place. dominant. Like, th- it should have been, like you said, like kind of like that they were out buzzing and like dominant. Yeah. I still think that they were the better team pretty clearly that game. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that sweeping of them, it kind of got people on... The, the Islanders have always been fighting the, we're the... It's us against the world. We're the underdogs. Them sweeping, the pens kind of shifted it a little bit. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, maybe they are for real. And I think the players started to buy into it. Trotz did a great job all season. Like, no, it's us against everybody. And I think the players started to think a little bit like... It's possible. You know, we're, we're a really good team and people started talking about them more. And I think that that... Wasn't the reason they lost, but I think that had a part to do with it. Number two, the stadium arena, that is a huge difference. Yeah. I don't think it would be as big as a difference. It was huge difference. Well, even the the, the Canes themselves said it. Calvin DeHaan specifically is like being a, a, an yeah. Islander for several years. After the series, said, "I don't he think said he, during the series." Well, yeah, I guess it was before that game was four ballsy. or whatever. I was like, he said, I'm, "I don't, I, I don't think this goes the same way if we're playing at Nassau." That was a huge win for us. Yeah, and Trotz, I saw Trot said something today. People were asking about it, and he's like, "We." I'm shocked they gave us one series there. Like there was no way we could play all all the, the rest of the playoffs there. And I saw people getting mad at Bettman. It's not Bettman. Bettman gave you the series there. He didn't have to do that. I think that people just wanted him to fight for more. Is what it comes down to. Yeah, it's not like it's his fault. He he didn't like iron fist rule this. this yeah. It's he has to manage the broadcast the stations and the Barclays ownership. Yeah. And the Islanders, he has to manage all of that relationship. But you have to, like, Islanders fans should be happy they gave him the one series. He sh- he didn't have to do that, give the Islanders a series at Nassau. And Legre- I was listening to the case show, and LaGreca was saying basically the same, same thing. Someone called in and was like, why isn't every series at the Coliseum? And LaGreca had a, you know, a solid LaGreca rant where he's like, I've been to the, I've been to Nassau Coliseum. I, you can't have, you know, the Stanley Cup finals there. They have, you're going to have, Hundreds and hundreds of media, and they're gonna have to put him in the in the stands. And he's like, you just can't do that. So I got that. It's it's a shame because I do think it would have been a different series if it was at the Coliseum. I don't know if it would have been. Well, the Islanders would have won, but I think they would have definitely won a couple games. Yeah. I think I don't know if they would have won. The Canes are just buzzing. Yeah. They're just everything's going right for them. Well, Chris McIlhenny's going in, and he's playing lights out. He's thirty five career journeyman backup. Well, yeah, and but the, I mean the biggest point is you know don't look at how many points they had on the season. Look at how they played from. 
February on or January on, whatever, they were amongst the top three or four teams in yeah. the league. They dug themselves such an early hole that they had to be the best, one of the best teams just to get in. And it's like they quote-unquote backed in or whatever because they barely made the playoffs. But yeah. that's not the quality of team that they were coming into the playoffs. Yeah. And so. that was why I was concerned about them is because they seriously upgraded their level of play over the course of the season. Now, do you – so I kind of – I saw a couple of people talking about this. Do you have a bad taste in your mouth after this season, just the way it ended? No, I mean, well, the thing is, I just didn't want it to go – like, I would have just liked them to, if they lost in five or six. I just don't love getting swept. Yeah. But like I said, I, I thought they were going to win, but I, in the in the pit of my stomach, I had fear about this series. Yeah. So – Yeah, playoff hockey, you, you, you could be – no one knows what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. You – no one predicts anything that goes right in the NHL playoffs. I, but the thing is, I, I don't know whether it's true that the Islanders were looking past them, but I think a lot of Islanders fans were looking oh. past the Canes. Oh, for sure. And I wasn't. For um, sure. I was very much concerned about facing this team. So, I mean, it's the slightest bit because you just you wanted... To, I didn't think that they were a serious cup contender, but I thought that beating the Penguins that way meant that they at least had a chance to go on a run to the conference finals. I, I just saw a couple Islanders fans I always fans expected it to it. end, yeah. but I just didn't think it was going to end this way. Yeah, and I, I saw a couple Islanders fans saying, and like, this whole season, I, we're playing with house money, we're playing with house money, we sweep the pens, and I start, I just finally... You started to like, believe. I'm in. We're, we're, we're good. We're beating get everybody. get caught up in the moment. Yeah. And then it happened, and then so it's like, that's, that's just a kind of an interesting thought to me of how 99% of the season, you were like, we are, I am happy with however this ends. And then it ended that way, and it's just like no. I, I mean, oh, I, now I'm kind of I fucking hate this season. <laughs> no, I can totally understand. I, I even in the moment and in, in probably March, I was like, man, I probably didn't appreciate this season for what it was until a little bit too late. Like yeah. they were like they were on a run. It's like you could tell they were playing very quality hockey for a yeah. long time. It's like oh, this is cool, but I didn't understand the implications at the time. No, they they have a real chance to go in and win a series or two. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a little disappointing to see it end with a sweep. Yeah. After having such a convincing... Like, if they had traded back and forth and they grinded out and they barely won in seven games against a flagging Penns team, it's like, okay, like, you're not having high expectations. Going in and winning that emphatically against Pittsburgh, you expect that they're going to put up a real fight in the second round. So I'm disappointed that they didn't put up the fight. Um, Although, really, it's just game four. Like, they put in representative efforts the first three games, even though it all didn't go their way. Yeah, Uh, I... I think it's very it mirrors kind of the other se- the Penn series. It just kind of flipped r- roles. Yeah. Like no, but I felt I th- I felt the Islanders were a better team every game. But the Penguins would score, and the Islanders would come right back, and that kind of flipped mm-hmm. where the Islanders scored and the Canes fought right back. Yeah. And it kind of flipped where the Penguins were not very good, but they they had chances. The first game went four three overtime. Yeah. They scored. You know they had leads in games. And they just lost it right away. That kind of flipped in the sec- second series where. Islanders get a little bit of momentum. Kane's right back on it. Yeah. Like, that kind of reminded me of it. And they, I don't know what it is with Hurricanes and playoff hockey. They get in and it just, are like... Yeah, I saw a graphic straight. about that. It's like, didn't make the playoffs for, like, six straight years. Conference finals. Like, didn't yeah. make the, the yeah. playoffs for four years. Win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Like, didn't make the, the playoffs for four years. Conference finals. Right. Like And, uh... I, I could see them going to the Stanley Cup. I, I, I haven't been impressed, really, with the... Well, they only have to win one more series. Yeah, so. but, like, people... Are Bruin, it's you know Bruins or Blue Jackets both are playing great hockey. If they play Columbus, I think that they have a legitimate chance. I actually think the other way. I I don't see honestly. I don't see. I think Boston's going to go to the. I think the cup. I. They're just it's, tough. Man. It is. I, 
I'm throwing everything I think I know about hockey out the window this playoff series. I'm not going off of, oh, this team has this going well, this going well. I, it's just the chaos of it. The sure. Blue Jackets and the Hurricanes are the two mo- uh, most unlikely teams probably to make the, the Stanley You just East expect over the course of four to seven games that the chaos will come close nope. to evening out. Because um, in any one game, yeah, anything can go batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, and this series is the direct opposite of what I just said. The Islanders-Kane series... Didn't do that. It no. didn't even out the chaos in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. If they had lost in six games or five games, it would have felt like there was some sort of cosmic justice where it's like, okay, yeah, it didn't even out, but like you you still got yours, you know what I mean? And yeah. that just flat out didn't happen. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see what that happens in the, the rest of the playoffs, but Hurricanes, Blue Jackets would be a phenomenal Eastern Conference Finals. I would love that as a, as a neutral. It player. would be an interesting story, just for to, sure. Just to watch that series. I, I was... I was loving Columbus at the deadline going for it. Yeah. I loved it. And I was like, I, this is what they need to do. They've never done anything in the playoffs. This is what they need to do. They're never going to have a window like this. I did not think they'd do this. No. Even if they lose to the Boston and, and or bounce the second round, that was a good year for them. Well, that was it, it will have been their first ever win of a series. Yeah. So Considering I'm, up until a couple of years ago, they never even won a game yeah, so, in the playoffs. Uh, I hope it's Columbus. Just selfishly, from a neutral standpoint, well, I from think chaos and from interesting Col- stories, yeah, Columbus that would be and the thing. Columbus and Carolina would just be a hilarious, and I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'll piss off a lot of Canadian media yeah. and fans too. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing, Islanders. <laughs> well, I was going to say, let's move on from the series and start looking at the future. Or do you want? Yeah, no, do... that's exactly exactly it. Um, at least for a couple of minutes, because yeah. I'm going to write something similar. If you guys haven't checked out yet, um, Schaefer wrote um, a really good piece on the rangers and his dream scenario for their offseason i'm going to do something to mirror that for the islanders yeah um in a probably a couple weeks i'll let it sit for a few weeks let the playoffs play out as they are yeah i'll probably rewrite one just because well i think you probably free agency starts and i can kind of see rumors and what i think might happen i can well i think prediction was that you'll probably do something more closer to like this is what's most likely to happen because what you wrote was a little bit pie in the sky yeah but that's not that that's a bad thing because no. now is the time to shoot for the stars right. and hope that you hit the moon, right? Yeah. So and I'll do something similar, but we'll talk briefly about that now. So yeah, I saw people afterwards saying you know, <clears throat> the, f- the future is bright with the Islanders, and I think that's true. the 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 immediate future is pretty bright. Yes, but I think the the way the Islanders team is constructed right now is it is one hundred percent a win now team, and it has been for the last two years ish. More. Probably yeah, probably more. It's been about five years. It's no, I don't know if it's been five. With that, they're all in on winning now. Well, just and the, the John. Well, if you, if you want to talk, about, if you want to talk about being all in to win right now, that's starting nine months ago or whatever. Yes, it was. yes, it was because before I'm saying the last two two before years, ownership got serious and canned snow, they were never all in and serious. Yeah. They've never been serious under the Snow administration. So once Tavares left, it changed the narrative a little bit. But if you look at the Islanders' contracts, they are designed to be competitive last year, two years ago, and the next two to three years. Well, some of those things... After that, they are going to be in cap hell. Well, the thing is, they have a ton of flexibility right now. Right now. They are... they So looking at Cap Friendly, which is like my favorite website, mm-hmm. they got Andrew Ladd locked up until 2023. Now, they can hide some of that if they send them to the AHL, right? Some, not, some. I know yeah, it's not but most, it's, but it's it's still every little bit helps because that's what's going to happen. I, is, I'm not sure how the, the cap works, but it's it's going to be like three million. So I think it like maybe cuts it in half. So okay, well, like I said, every little three bit three million. Helps. The guy that's not playing, Josh Bailey, still playing very good hockey. He's going to be thirty like six when his deal's done. Mm-hmm. So that, but that, that's the case years, for any of these teams. No team in modern cap sports 
other than in football, maybe with the, the Patriots and some other teams that do a pretty good job, no team can build a 10 year dynasty no. in a capped sport. No. You're, you're working in three to five year windows. Right. But there are teams that have players that, you know what, the first, he's a seven year deal. The four, first four years are going to be great. The last three are going to be, are going to be awful. Usually teams have one or two of those guys. I think the Islanders have a lot more than normal. So they have Ladd, mm-hmm. who's already probably a bad contract. Bailey will age the contract better. Yes. He, he's, he'll be 30 next year. Because he, he'll, and he's signed until 2024. So he'll be like 36. And he'll have the opportunity as the time goes. Because he's, he's been a top line forward for the last three years. Over the next three years, he'll slowly mature from top line to top six. Yes. To top, no, middle I six. Think he'll last, age better yes, than Ladd. I think the last two years of that deal will be, oh man, like... We got what we got for him, but but you can two deal years. with two yeah, years on a seven-year deal or again, a six-year, whatever. It it was. One, if it was one or two players, I would say it's not that big of a deal. Lad Bailey until twenty twenty-four. Boychuk is an issue. Boychuk is thirty-five, and he's till twenty twenty-two at yeah. six mil. T- Thomas Hickey really not that big of a deal, but he signed until he's thirty-four. That was the issue that I had with some of those snow contracts with lower-level defensemen. Is it's I don't think that was snow. Yeah, it was. No, he was signed this sure? offseason. Were you Thomas, sure about that? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he signed. He he did like the Pellet deal and the Mayfield, Mayfield deal, deal, which honestly I don't even think are that bad. No, but at the time it was a little bit. It weird. wasn't like the the contract, like the average annual value, average annual value was very reasonable. But they were locking up guys who were sixth and seventh defensemen to five year deals. And that's the thing: the Islanders don't overpay money; they overpay term. Yes, which, which is, is what you have of, to do when you're a less than optimal destination. Right. And then you know Cal Clutterbuck is signed. He's 31. He's signed until 2022. And now his backs. And he, who knows just that Komarov is 32. That was the deal that Lamarillo did that pissed me off because I didn't have a problem with him adding Komarov or Philpola or Kunakul or all these uh, the, these those guys that they added. Yeah, if you do it for guys. a one-year deal. But the thing is, yeah, with Kunakul and Philpola, they were one-year deals. It's like, perfect. Those are exactly the type of signings you should do right now as you're trying to, because that's what they said we're doing in evaluation. Right. Kamara for four years never made any sense. If they added him for one or two years, okay. Yeah. That contract is is bad. Yes. So th- those, I don't care how good he is in the penalty. Right. Game. So those those are, from looking at it, that's a win now team because they're saying we have guys that we're paying till we're thirty six. We can we'll we'll give them the term. They're gonna have to you know contribute to the team, the next two to three years. So, in 2021, 2022... That's going to be... You're going to have a lot of cap in guys that aren't really producing close to the level that they should no. be. The other thing is the UFA is coming up. I think Lee and Leonard are almost... Lee is definitely a lock to come back, I would say. Almost 95%. Definitely. Yes. Leonard's probably, I would say, 90 85%. Probably right. Um, and what you're going to say next, I'm going to agree with as well. I, what am I going to say next? That Nelson and Everly are gone. I don't... Uh, I think they're both probably 50-50. Yeah, but I think... I don't even know if it's 50. I think, I, Everly, I think it'll be a true 50. I think Everly's more likely to leave than... Well, the thing is, I think Nelson. that Nelson's market is going to be much stronger. But I think that's the guy that they'll try harder to keep. Mm. But I just think that they're going to offer him like five and a half, six million, and someone's going to offer him no. seven. No, I don't, for Nelson? Yeah. No, I don't... He no, had a really good season. No one's going to... I don't think anybody's going to offer him seven. I could see... I could see the Islanders offering him like a four... Uh, four years, four and a half million. Yeah, he's not going to take it. And back. I he's think the go team will else. offer him like a five for five. I don't think he's going to make it'll over be, six. It'll be more than that, I think. Um, I don't think it'll be over six. Maybe it will. I know the cap's not exploding like in basketball or NFL, but uh, it is going up. Everly, I could see getting similar to what he just had, yes. which was six million. And I, I don't think they're going to be willing to pay him six again, yeah. especially for term. Yeah. The, um, th- the thing with Laner is, is you have to... His comments after... 
the series. I thought he was going to be very, like, pro coming back, which he was, but it was kind of more ambiguous than I thought it was going to be. I wasn't surprised by his comments, actually. He kind of was like, you know, if it gets done, it gets done type of thing. I think the whole point was, I, for my own process, the way that I'm handling my life right now, I don't need to be jumping into something emotionally. Yeah. And I want to just let it take its course for a week or two. But... Everything he said has been abundantly positive, and he's repeatedly said, I would like to be back. I just don't know if it'll be realistic. Right. So that, to me, was a little bit... I thought he'd be like, yeah, we'll get something done, basically. Um, I still think he comes back. I do, too. And it'll be like a five-year, five million per, maybe a little bit less. Yep, I've um, heard people say anywhere from like four to five million that's per, where, and that's, I think that would be reasonable, and I think he would understand and be motivated to... And, and the other thing is, I don't think any team will offer him that sort of term anywhere else. He might be able to get a one or two year deal for more money somewhere yeah. else. But I don't think anyone's going to give him five years because they're not going to trust him. I think Lamarell will extend more trust to him. I think he's in a weird situation because one, I think he just wants to stay with Dallas because that's been his best year. But two, and I think he, I think he genuinely is appreciative of the way that yeah. they tr- treated him. And dealt yeah. with him. I think he's, he's comfortable with the Islanders, mm-hmm. but I also think he's in a point of his career where he's like, I, this is going to be my big contract. If someone offers me something more, I'm going. The one I, thing I though, think that's he's in a weird spot where I could see him doing either one. I don't know, and I, it's probably painting with too broad of a brush. But guys like him in the situation that he's in, typically they don't plan long term like that because he, they know that things though. can go south at any time. Yeah, but he's he's a little bit. He's not. You know, he's still not. He's not young. He's he's not old, but he's in his. This is his going to be his big contract. I mean, he's he's. Fairly young for a goalie being on the on the market. I think he's be twenty eight during this next. I, I know he is twenty seven. I don't yeah, know I think, when he'll be twenty eight. Yeah. But. So that but that for a goalie's that's your contract. Twenty eight to thirty three is really your prime as a goalie. So if he says, but making twenty five or thirty million over the next five years is it depends what the good. offer is. So if it's you know five years five million from the Islanders and it's five years five point two five from somebody else, he's probably going to pick the Islanders. But if but the thing is, I don't think he gets that offer anywhere else. Is what I'm saying. I, I, could, I, could see a team, I could see a team being win now. I could see Columbus, if they could get enough of their the skaters back, yeah. going, hey, we're going to run it back. We'll give you one for $10 million or $8 million or something like that to make one more shot at it. But I don't, think, I don't see someone like Columbus giving him five years. I don't see a lot of teams trusting him for five years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, I think the Islander, he, again, I think he's going to come back. I just Islanders. think that they'll give him the term that he's looking for. And I think that that sort of security, I don't think he's going to scrape for every single dollar whereas a guy like nelson the way he's handled his negotiations with the islanders throughout his whole career he's pushed to the last minute on every negotiation uh, i also could see the islanders doing a we're gonna get, we'll give you a longer term smaller money and seeing him if he wants to do that for who for lanner yes and i i, I agree with that. seven years which is why i think four million which is why i think he'll stay because they'll be the only team that will trust him to give him that term is what i'm saying yeah I, no i agree i think he's coming back I just think he's in a he's in a interesting yeah. point of view where you know I had a great year. This is the time where I can cash in, or do I want to stay where somewhere I'm comfortable and you know, take a, maybe a little bit less money if another team doesn't. But come. we're basically more or less aligned with Leonard and Lee. I expect are yes. all but done, and Nelson and Everly. I ultimately think will go, not for a lack of trying to get Nelson to stay. I just think some other team will pay him a lot more. So what do you think Lee is going to get? If you think Everly or uh, Nelson's going to get almost seven, what is Lee getting? Um. Probably about the same six and a half, seven. I would say six and a half would be Lee. Yeah. I, I if Nelson for like gets first six years. Yeah, six. Yeah, and I think that'd be, I think his co- camp is going to push for seven years. The Islanders is going to push for five. They'll settle on six. Yeah. Um, I think Nelson gets a five or six year deal and similar 
money. I think the two of them will end up having similar contracts, and I think the Islanders would be more motivated to give Lee that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Than Nelson, um, I think they're they're going to push to get Nelson, but I just don't think they're going to go to the extent that the market teams are always looking for a center, especially a center who can play in the top six role. Teams will chase him. Whether he may he may get a contract that's ridiculous, but someone's going to give him one. Is is the point I think? Uh, I think he'll get offers. I don't think it's going to be close to what Lee is. I think he'll top at around five million. Maybe five and a half. I don't the thing is, I could see Lee giving a slight discount to stay. I agree. I agree. With Nelson that. won't. No. Nelson, I think I think Nelson, before the season, thought this was his last year with the Islanders. Sure. And I think the Islanders didn't work on an extension before now because they're like, you've been so up and down in your career. We right. don't know what you are. And this year, he finally, finally, of course, in his contract year, answered the bell. And that was kind of my thing with Laner. Before the season, I, we were talking about how it's you know a good show-me contract. You know, the worst case scenario is, is him playing great in that show me contract and not the team not succeeding to team goals and you having to pay him a lot of money and it's like he didn't live up to that that no but show he me ended contract. up they ended up succeeding in a way that exceeded expectations yes and it's so it ended up being worth it because they put themselves back they've made themselves known we're here to stay we can do it and the fact that trots came out right after the series and said we need more goal scoring on the front end we yeah. just need it and yeah. and Lamarillo Fell on his sword and said it. Hey, we knew that we needed more scoring at the deadline. We tried to get it. It didn't work out. And that's on me. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. Sure. Um, and that's and that's fine with me. It's a level of accountability that the Islanders front office has never had in my lifetime. Um, so I'm appreciative of that. Whereas where Gar Snow would tell you that um, like Cal Clutterbuck being out for a week or something was the reason that we didn't make the playoffs or something. Because that's what he's done. Um, right. You know, or what was it last year? It was because Devin Taves got hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he got hurt a week before they were going to call him up. That's right. why we didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. So yeah, in the end, you don't like that you didn't go where you wanted to, and you don't like that he didn't get the job done. But he's frank and like, yep, yeah, we there was offers we made. We didn't want to completely ruin our future because he has an eye on the situation you're saying where we can't completely sell out on our young guys. Um, and they, admittedly, they don't have any young guys at center. They have young wings that they're hopeful can be helpful in a year or two or three. Right. They have some defensemen who can come in and plug right into the system. Right. Um, in the second or third pair. Um, but they don't have a lot of high-end talent coming out of the pipeline this year. It's going to be two or three years before they get any of it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'll be interested to see what they do the rest of the offseason. I do think it's going to be hard for the Islanders to attract high-end free I agents. think they're going to get... A guy. Will they get all the guys they want? Probably not. What do you mean by the a, a guy? If you line up a list of all the top guys who are going to okay, be available. Okay, like a top person, a yes. top player. If you take you know, your Panarin, your Duchesne, everyone who's available, I think they will get a guy. I think they're going to shoot for to try and get two or three of them. I just don't think they'll succeed on getting two or three, but I think they'll get one. Even if it's a guy like Jeff Skinner, that's mm. an improvement on what they've had in the top six. Yeah, I can, I can see someone like Skinner. I don't think Panarin's going to go. I don't even know if Panarin's going to leave at this point. Duchesne. I think he's ready to go. I think Panarin was 99% out of the door. The way they played, I think there's a chance, a small chance he does say, you know what? I still think it's like 80% he goes. Yeah. Um, now, whether it means he goes to Chicago or Florida I think or the Flor- Rangers. I think the Florida has become almost a front runner for Or him. the Islanders, whoever it is, I think he goes. I would be very surprised if Panarin is an Islander. I wouldn't be very surprised, but it would be a surprise. Uh, um, but could, I mean, could they walk away from this offseason retaining Lee and Leonard? And adding Duchesne and Skinner and letting Nelson walk, I think that's a realistic. I would say Skinner is probably the most likely because it does seem like Buffalo and him had a little bit of a falling out. Yeah, I don't think he's staying there. Um, Duchesne, I think he might stay in Columbus. It's possible. I think that that situation is good for him. 
Um, and he, I think he enjoyed it. It seemed like he, he's been on three teams in the last four years, so I think he's at this yeah, point. Yeah, but this is the first time he gets to choose. Yeah, but I think he had a really good playoffs with them, and he had a good you know second half with them. So I think they're going to offer him a ton of money because a lot of money's coming yeah. off the off the books. And he, I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he leaves, but I, if I had to pick a team where Duchesne's going, I'm going to say he stays in Columbus. All I know is with the way things ended, with Colorado imploding around him, with him being traded to Ottawa and it imploding around him and then them shipping out everyone and letting everyone walk. Yeah. And then going to Columbus and it's been good and great and all for him. Yeah. But if Panarin and Bobrovsky leave... Bobrovsky's definitely gone. If they both leave, do you really want to tie yourself to that ship that's going to now be your, again, the guy left holding the bag? Uh, Just the way he was multiple times in the last three years. Columbus still has really good players, though. Even with the guys... Seth Jones might be the best defenseman in the NHL. I, I, I totally understand that. But with... The small market, and with the way that they've had an utter lack of success, and with your two best players leaving, two of your three best players leaving, do you really want to tie yourself to that after the way it's just gone in these past three stops in yeah, two years? He, he could easily be out. I, I would love the Rangers to get him. Sure. Having him, Zavanjad, and, and Duchesne down the middle would be And I would love to have phenomenal. Barzell and, and Duchesne yeah. down the middle. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I do think... Depending again, it depends on what happens with free agency and all that. It, the same Islander group next year, I do think they regress a little. Um, I still think they make the playoffs, but I don't think they're. Yeah, if they don't, if they don't, if they don't import a talent, and remember the, the trade market is available too. I think that they're going to aggressively look to move Letty. Um, mm. I, I think that's what's going to happen because they can't move Butch. I think they'd love to. Yeah, Butch and don't forget is. that there's going to be a new set of rules with with CBA stuff coming up and with Seattle expansion coming up. They're going to find a way to get rid of at least one of those bad contracts. Yeah, they'll have to t- tie a you know, first-round pick or something onto but it. But if you're a playoff team, it's more palatable than what they did yeah. with the Vegas expansion yeah. when they missed the fucking playoffs. Yeah. Um, they're going but to it also f- has to be a player that doesn't have a no-trade or no-movement. I think Boychuk does. I don't know if Ladd does. I think he does. That might be a problem. Sure. Because um, a lot of players are not going to want to re- relocate. Um, if there's a player, if one of those contracts doesn't have that... It's going to be very easy. To well, but like you said, you were concerned about a clutterbuck or stuff like that. It Clutter could be Buck clutterbuck yeah. that they move. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could Komarov be or whatever. Komarov. Yeah. Like ideally, you'd move Komarov because you're not getting anything back for him and or clutterbuck. Those are the guys who, between the two of them, you could attach an asset to move one of them traditionally, and you could find a way to shove him off on Seattle. And if you get rid of both of those guys, the situation with Ladd and Boychuk isn't so dire. Yeah, agree. Um, and there's also probably going to be a lockout. Around that time, so you're going to have an amnesty buyout problem. That's what I'm saying. Between all those things, I don't think it's going to be as big of a concern as... It's a concern, and it will require you, like you said, to move assets to get rid of some of it. But I don't think it'll be so dire as, as it looks right yeah, now that's, on that's definitely That's definitely possible. If they have... Uh, they can attach players and value and all that. Um, other than that, going to the Rangers... It's been a pretty uneventful couple weeks. The only thing that's really happened is Adam Fox, official, um, Kratzoff and Shesterkin, or Shesterkin, however you want to say it, is, is coming <laughs> Well, over. I saw on the contract it it's was... Shesterkin. The, yeah. So I would just go with that. It, it is, but so in, in Russia, it's Shesterkin. In America, North America, it's Shesterkin. That makes no sense to me, yeah. but we're going to call him Shesterkin from now on. Um, I would just think that that would put it to bed is seeing it yeah, on paper on the contract. Just a, why, why, I just don't understand why you don't have the same name. I don't know. Rush is weird. Yes. Um, and the only other thing that came out was Hank, you know, Henrik News. Which Well, I thought that was just an interesting bit 
so I figured we tackle yeah. that for two seconds. Um, he he had an interview in Sweden where he said basically I'd love to finish my career with the Rangers. I don't know if that's going to happen, which is a little bit different than what was said last offseason when he was all in on the rebuild. I think the rebuild on him was harder than he thought it was going to be, which is why I thought that they would be really serious about trying to move him. Well, I think the Rangers before this past to season want to move him. I they oh they think. They asked him, would you be willing to move? Because they, I think they want to move him. Him saying, no, I want to be here. It surprised me. I mean, not that he wants to be here, but that he chose to stay here. That's what surprised me. Yeah, it is a little bit surprising. Um, I think he thought it was the rebuild was going to be easier than it was. He, was. he was left out to dry every night. He's trying to compete. He's a very competitive guy. I've, I've listened to interviews from former players that play with him. He's like, he's the most competitive person I've ever played with. I just... And him going in night in, night out, and just being like, this team is trying to lose, and I have to, I'm trying to win. And it's just, he's in a weird part of his career where he knows his time's running out. For me, an ideal situation is you just get, get rid of him now. It's going to suck because... But I think, that's, and I think that's best for both of them. I agree. It's best for both parties. One, you're going to have to, he's going to have to waive his no movement clause, which he'd have to agree to leave, which I don't think is going to happen. He sh- I think it should happen. I don't think he's going to do it. And then so you'd have to retain probably... Probably three million. You, if you got him to around five million, you know, uh, AAV teams will take him because he's still a top fifteen goalie. And when his when he needs to win, he's still one of the best in the game. Mm-hmm. He's he's his game seven numbers are insane. He's got like a he's like nine and one with like a nine fifty five save percentage. Like he just he when he knows something's on the line, he plays his best hockey. I think Columbus, if they lost Bobrovsky and they still signed a couple guys. He might be a destination. Calgary, I think that could be a destination. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think, unfortunately, it's going to be his contract's going to run out. They're not going to resign it, and then he plays another year or two. Yeah, else. I just think it's weird that that uh, when I so the funny thing is when we discussed this right before the show started here, um, you and I looked at it completely differently. I assumed that that meant that that article meant that he was going to reopen the discussion with the team of looking for a destination because I can understand. If it's only Calgary that wants him. If he doesn't want to go to Calgary, I totally understand that. Yeah. But if some team, if a Florida came after him. Well, there was that report like that. at the deadline that Columbus called the Rangers about Lundquist. But I could see him not wanting to go to Columbus either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, I think. If there was a destination, if it was, you know, I, I don't know what the destination would be. But yeah, if there was a team, a team yeah. that was in a place that he liked, that was a good enough chance of being a legit winner. I would think that he should be open to doing it. If, you know, if it's a an Anaheim or if it's uh, you know like whatever team yeah. is in a a a, 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 a place a, a physical location that he's good with that is a legitimate contender that he can go in and play even if he's not playing as the lead goalie. I would have thought that that would have been palatable to him. Yeah, I I think so. I think that makes sense again for both sides. Yes. The Rangers get to see what they have in Gorgiev and Shesterkin. One of them is going to be the the future. You get to see both of them play. Every other night, which is ideal for them. Hank, which I love this about him, is so loyal to New York. He doesn't want to, he wants to be one team for the rest of his career, his whole career, which I love that. But at some point, it's just like. It's just not realistic. Yeah, it's, you know, we got to, we got to rip this off eventually, whether it be you retiring or us trading you or not resigning you. Ideally, that is done sooner than later. For me, I would try to move him. Retain you if you retain three million, you could actually get a good amount for him. You you get a, a roster player back, um, but probably similar value and contract, and he gets to play competitive hockey, which is one 
at his age, he needs to play that to be sharp and to to have the Rangers having Shesterkin and Gorgiev and not have to worry about Hank would be, I think, very beneficial for them growing the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. I, again, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that's more so when his contract's up, which is two years. I think he wants to keep playing. He's just going to play for another team, which will suck to see, but I think at this point it has to happen. I think it's just time. Yeah. It, uh- yeah, it's... it's 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 run its course with him, and it's it, we will the Rangers will be very competitive in the near future. I just don't think it's going to be with Hank on the team. No, I don't think I don't think they can really. Yeah. Um, all right, that's it for the Rangers for now. We'll have more on that as we get closer to the draft and free agency. Um, but we will round out this episode with some Yankee talk because I think that what's been going on with them in the last few weeks is interesting, and I have some more specific things I actually want to discuss as opposed to the last couple of weeks of like, hey, this is kind of cool, you know what I mean? Um, so. For the one thing, leading it off, the injuries have been ridiculous. Um, they're finally rounding into shape, it seems like. the I, Of course, that includes Paxson going on the injured list, but it's not major. Yeah. Tweaked his knee. They're going to get it sorted out. Cortisone shot. Give him some R&R. He'll be back in three weeks. Not the end of the world. Luizago will come in and take his spot for a couple of starts. And really, he's not taking Paxton's spot. He's taking up the fifth role spot because the guy who's coming in and being the new Paxson for now, at least, is Domingo Herman, who yes. has been really excellent. Um, he's been a guy who's interested me since last season when he first came up. He's had some control issues where it's like some games he comes in and he looks like he's going to be an absolute stud and then other games he'll walk five guys. Yeah. Um, and that is pretty common for young pitchers and he is young. Yeah. But what's undeniable is the guy has some fucking pitching talent. Yeah. He's got a really nice repertoire of pitches. I don't know how much of him you've watched. I saw... I haven't watched... I only watched one Yankee game in the last week, and it wasn't him pitching, but I did see clips of his pitch, like... Like, there was tweets where they have them, like, simula- like simultaneously pitching him different pitches, and you see the movement on yeah, each pitch. to show the tunneling effect. Yeah, that so I've seen been... those, and I, some of them are like, well, that's actually filthy, but I haven't seen... I, I just know the name, and I've seen people talking about how he's... Electric. He's a guy who really excited me. After his first two or three starts last summer, I was like, man, like they, they've got a guy who, like, he may have to clean it up, and I'm not saying he'll be, like, their ace, but, like, he could slot in as a legit number three going yeah. forward for them. Um, he, watching him pitch is exciting. He has really good talent, and his last few starts, he's put it together in a way where his, his control has been much, much better. He has good command of his pitches, but his control has been off here and there. Yeah. He's been very much on top of it. He comes out like he had his longest start through the most pitches, most innings in his last start. Um, that is a huge improvement because if he is a real hit, a real hit, he's not a guy who's going to be a trade piece. He's going to be a guy who, oh, we don't have to go make a move at the deadline to get a front-end starter. We have our front-end starter. We might add a depth guy who, like Hap last year who's going to take starts down the stretch. But he's a guy who, okay, Paxton's out a couple of weeks. We're afraid Severino's not going to be back till after the – the uh, all-star break yeah this guy can take real innings and it's not a we're rolling the dice and hoping it's no he's pitching today we're gonna win you know what i mean yeah. the way that you want a frontline starter to be for you yeah um again i haven't seen a ton of him i think he, if he, he can be dependent on that's obviously a big big thing for the yankees going forward but what's how many starts has he made this season so far uh, five or six I okay think. so it's not like a small no he's made a, and he had like 10 starts last year okay and so, I mean, I, I don't know a, a whole lot about him. I know, obviously, injuries is going to be a huge, you know, next man up type of thing. And if he can prove, 
hey, we don't need to do anything else. You, you're just taking somebody else's spot, and when they come back healthy, you have too many good pitchers. That's a good problem to have. Sure, and and I always viewed CC as being a potential swingman starter type. So if down the line, if that means that CC is not taking a start every time around, occasionally you're going to hide him in the bullpen for a turn or two through the rotation. Yeah, maybe you go six at some point in August or September. Yeah, just keep everyone fresh, especially guys like Tanaka fresh. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. you know. You can convert yourself to having a day with an opener, essentially. Like, CeCe, go just pitch us three or four innings. Right. Like Because right now, it's, get us to five, and we're good. Yeah. If it's, hey, CeCe, go out and get us three, and then we'll have Loisega come in behind you and pitch another three or four. Right. And now you've built six or seven innings, and you can hand it off to your high-end relievers right after that. That's a huge boost. Yeah, um, sure. Especially because, I mean, the way it's going now with, with Severino and the lat, I'm not counting on him to be back at all this season. Yeah, well, I feel like I've seen, like, conflicting things on Severino. Well, it just keeps getting pushed back. Yeah, I just... Like, nothing's worse, it's just, it's going to take longer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, supposedly it's not, like, a serious tear. It sounds like a a more milder version of what Syndergaard had a couple years ago, but they actually diagnosed it as opposed to it just tearing out of hand, you know, down the line the way it did with Syndergaard. Right. Um, So that's a plus. Um, Frazier was just activated today. And I Duhar was activated Saturday. Sanchez was activated a week ago. And he's been on fire yeah, since he came yeah, back. I've, I've seen that his numbers are insane. He's well, he hit like 280, 11 home runs or something like that. He hit two home runs over 400 feet in one game the other day. He, he's hit five home runs since he's been back, I think. Wow. He's up to 11. He's leading the AL or tied for the lead in AL in home runs despite missing some time with yeah. injury. So if he can be the guy, if him and Voigt can carry the power, if Andujar can contribute and LeMahieu can be the guy that I've thought because he's basically been that guy he's hitting 315 mm-hmm. leading off for us now if Torres can continue to give something he had been in a bit of a slump and then the rest of the guys down the line just hold the fort and play good defense they can weather this storm I mean, right Mabin has been the defender that you expect him to be and given something hitting wise not much right Talkman was horrendous for a couple of weeks after blowing up with like a triple and a home run in the same game and he hit a home run yesterday um they have the best record in the American League over the last 18 or 19 games. And they're now back up. I think they're still behind Tampa, but they're right behind them. Um, I think they were 13-5 and five or 14-5 and five in the last like 18 or 19 games, whatever it was. Yeah, them just staying above water at this point is, you know, ide- or ideal. But even if you're going, if you're winning more games, you know, that's that's great for the team. Right? Well, that's what it is. They're not yeah, just they're, surviving. They're, not, they're right. thriving. Exactly. <laughs> you, you'd be good with them just, you know, surviving. But they're they're not. They're doing more than that, which yeah. is which is great for for Yankee fans. And then once everybody comes back, um, obviously you take another step. Oh, the thing is, ever it kind of seemed like smoke and mirrors at the off the onset of this whole thing with this run that's been good for them with all the injuries. Because like, oh, who's we have injuries at the pitching, and you know the hitters are somehow grinding it out. And it was they were just playing some small ball, which was interesting. Although they've kind of gotten past that stage, it seems. But um, the big thing is what they some of the struggle that was going on, even with all the injuries. The problem was. The bullpen was supposed to be dominant, and it went through a week of just being horrendous. And it was a different guy every game who's been bad. The bullpen's back. Yeah, the Mets bullpen is not back. That's that <laughs> well, is, we can do that yeah. separately if yeah. you want. But um, no, I mean, Adovino had a rough outing, and he's been back on track. The guy who's been an easing punching bag is Holder, who's proven nothing. But now all of a sudden he's not living up to his name, Holder. Yeah, now he's gotten <laughs> like twenty-five of the last twenty-seven guys he's faced out with only, like, a single and a walk with the other two guys. Like, that's huge if you can add that depth to the bullpen because we still don't have Patances back. Chapman's been what we need him to be. Adovino has been the guy that you expected as your 7 or 8. Right. And taking some stress off having to use Britain as much. 
guy like Tarpley they brought back up after really flaming out. Holder seemed like he was going to be sent down and finally figured out his shit, which is huge because they had to send Chad Green down right. because his mechanics were way off. His velocity was a tick down. The spin on his pitches was completely off because he used to always have like amongst the highest swinging miss, swing and miss rates for his, on his pitches, and he was not getting any swings and misses anymore. It was like halved from yeah. what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't really have anything other than you know them them surviving again would have been every Yankee fan would have been like just be five hundred until everybody's back. Yeah. The fact that everybody's stepping up and now it seems like. Every, Everything's kind of clicking at the same time. Mm-hmm. Starting pitching starting to come around. Bullpen's better now. Lineup's still hitting, even though they're. You know, it's depleted. down a bit, but they're. It's they, a depleted they're, lineup, and they're still contributing and getting runs. If you're playing like a mediocre offense with excellent pitching, you can survive right. until you get back Judge and Stanton. And, and it sounds like Stanton's getting closer. I think he's supposed to do BP this week. And it sounds like Hicks is maybe right around the corner now because he's playing in ex- extended spring training and stuff like that. Right. Um, so if you could get Hicks back in a week, you're finally. You know, that was really the biggest thing, is the outfield was completely depleted. Yeah. You only had Gardner left. Yeah. Uh, anything else on, on Yankee? No, I just, I think it was, it's really kind of incredible what they've done in it these is. last three weeks. Yeah. It's, I, again, I think we talked about last week where, are you even a little bit concerned when everybody comes back, that like little bit of grittiness and toughness and just every man, next man up kind of goes away? Because I think that could happen where everybody comes back and it's just like, well, like that that momentum we had might be a little bit gone just because players it's, are coming back from injuries and they're not, they're not like, you know, it's almost like the underdog role with Islanders had. Yeah. Like we're, we're now we're all our stars are back. We have to be good. It's possible. But on the other hand, I think it's going to continue to be a process getting everyone back. Yeah, so you stave it off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or if it's like, okay, one guy is getting sent down and then two weeks later, another guy is getting sent down and then two weeks later, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, if you get Hicks back a week from now, great. If you get Stanton the week back, the week after that, great. It's going to be a few more weeks till Judge is back. Gregorius is still not going to be back till the summer. Tulowitzki is a complete unknown. He may be back in a week or two. Yeah. Who the hell knows? Or he may re-injure himself. Yeah. Ellsbury is still lost in the desert. You know what I mean? Like, um, and Frazier is back today, and he'll he'll that's that's a big boost I think to them. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see when everybody comes back. You know, that they keep rolling or kind of have to go back to what it was before they got you know streaky they, they got streaky they, they got hot once everybody got out so we'll see what yeah. happens when, when everybody's back but i just thought that, it, that that was finally something interesting to talk about with the yankees yeah. it's like oh shit they're not just holding the fort anymore like they're yeah. legitimately winning and i know some of the teams have, that they face have not been great but you gotta win who's in front of you you right. know what i mean like yeah. against who's, who's in front of you so for sure um, anything else you want to discuss, or are we done? Uh, I'm good. The Mets have just been disappointing, so I want them to be good before I talk about them again. <laughs> well, we can hold off. That, that maybe might be 2020. We so. can... <laughs> no, but the thing is, if they're real like, legitimate concerns, something they're we can target the... more specifically next yeah, week, I'm, you know? Uh, the bullpen. I The bullpen just needs to be better. Like, it was good the last series, but I'm not confident with anybody other than Diaz. Okay. So well, I'm going to watch that for this week. Um, we'll revisit that next week, especially yeah. now with the hockey is going to take a little bit of a backseat for a few weeks. So, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. It's probably mostly mostly baseball going forward with you know the, the NBA draft lottery and the draft coming up. That'll be a little bit of the, the talk, but yeah, mostly it's going to be baseball the rest of the way. Yeah, we'll have so, the occasional football note. Yeah. we'll find some other fun things to talk about occasionally. True. But if we have to go a little lighter in a few weeks, these have been very long episodes these last couple yeah. of weeks. It won't be like that, especially once Thrones is over. For sure. Um, all right, so that's all for this week's episode of the Spin Tune Sports Show. You can reach us on Twitter at Spin Tune Sports and at The Spin Tune. You can find me and Schaefer as well at Alessandro B eleven eighty seven and at Schaefer. 
See you next week. Later.